Amen. If it's your first time to Vision City Church, welcome. We are a Bible teaching church, so we go through the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. Periodically, we will have uh, topical messages that uh, we insert here and there. And today, we continue through Acts chapter 20. Actually, we begin chapter 20 as we continue through Acts. And it says in verse 1, Acts chapter 20, it says, After the uproar had ceased... Paul called the disciples to himself, embraced them, and departed to go to Macedonia. Now, for those of you that missed our study, two weeks ago, this uproar was caused by Paul preaching the gospel, so much so that there were false gods looking for jobs. You remember that study where the guys that were molding and fashioning and creating these false idols were going out of business because people weren't worshiping false gods anymore because they were worshiping the one and true living God. And it caused a huge uproar and the city was turned upside down. People were coming to know Jesus and the people that were practicing evil and even making money off of evil were going broke. They were being shut down. Now, one thing that we need to be reminded of this morning is the more concentrated the message of the gospel, the more powerful of an impact it has. There is the tendency in the world that we live in today to kind of tone it down. Yet we wonder why we don't see these major works of God when we have a toned down message. How come God isn't doing the things that he used to do? Well, you look at the, the, maybe the average of churches across the, you know, the United States where it's not politically correct to say certain things in the Bible or, you know, it's not popular to say, you know, the, to mention those other things in the Bible. And then we sit back and we wonder, why isn't God pouring out his spirit? The more concentrated, the more unadulterated, the more pure the message of the gospel is, the more powerful of an effect it has. See, oftentimes the knee-jerk reaction of the gospel being presented to the world can be pretty intense. And maybe you've experienced this with your friends or family or just perfect strangers when you've told them about the gospel. It can be pretty, pretty confrontational and usually not even on the person telling people about Jesus. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 12, John, the apostle, says, Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. And I feel like marvel is such an apropos word to be used. Sometimes we wonder, maybe you have, I know I have, what did I do? What, what, what did I say? You know, I'm, I'm trying to love people and tell them that there's a God in heaven who loves them and sent His only Son, Jesus, to die on the cross for them. And that through faith in Jesus, you can have all your sins forgiven. You can, you can go to heaven and, 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 and they get angry at me and, 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 and they hate me. Maybe we'd be like the 21 Christians in Egypt who were brutally beheaded just for being Christian. Or the over 200 Assyrian Christians that have been kidnapped just for being Christian. What did I do? I I said, Jesus loves you. I believe in Jesus. I believe that we should love our our enemies and do good to those who persecute us. And I I believe in a God that sent His only Son, Jesus. And and that's my crime. In Proverbs 29, verse 10, it says, The bloodthirsty hate the upright. In 1 John 5, 19, John again writes and says, We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. I mean, what a powerful picture under the sway, under the influence of Satan, the world apart from Christ. And that we wonder, well, what did I do that was wrong? 
I, I, I was working in an orphanage. I was helping out at a, at a relief center. I was, you know, dealing with people that are, that are fighting Ebola. What am I doing that's wrong? I'm in the name of Jesus doing these things, and that's exactly it. The name of Jesus and what you stand for. And this is the same kind of effect that it had in Ephesus as Paul preached the gospel. There was an uproar, but after it had ceased, Paul called his disciples. Those were the disciples that you remember our first study in Acts 19, once upon a baptism. Remember we prayed, we had men and the leaders of the church praying for the coming upon, the baptism of the Holy Spirit upon us. These disciples were including the ones that only followed John the Baptist. And they hadn't heard that you could be empowered with the Holy Spirit. And Paul lays his hands on them and prays for them. And they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. It says, he embraced them and he departed to go to Macedonia. Verse 2. Now, when he had gone over that region and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece, verse 3, and stayed three months. When the Jews, it says, and when the Jews plotted against him as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Now, reading Paul's life, if you've been with us since the beginning of our study through Acts, have you ever just asked yourself, have you ever just been compelled to ask yourself this question? Can this guy, Paul, ever catch a break? Ever. I mean, he goes here and there's an uproar. He goes here and people are trying to, trying to kill him. He goes there and they're stoning him. And he goes there and they're, you know, trying to, they, they say, I'm not going to eat until he dies or whatever. Jesus said in John 15, the Gospel of John, verses 18 through 19, he says, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Man, this is pretty strong language, because especially living in Southern California and Orange County, for that matter, we don't really see a lot of this type of interaction. If you go to other parts of the world, you'll see the very defined line between what is evil and what is of the Lord. Interestingly enough, both evil, listen to this, both evil and good can wear facades of morality and tolerance, but that relationship is superficial at best. We can a lot of times be deceived by morality and by tolerance, and we think that that makes us okay, or you can have evil that is having the facade of morality and tolerance. But see, what happens when you strip it down to what is truly good those made righteous through faith in Jesus. And what is truly evil? Those who have rejected Jesus, you will discover an incompatible relationship. And we'll understand more fully what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. He says, For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? When you strip it down to the very, very lowest level, the foundation, evil is not compatible with righteousness. Remember, evil can wear a facades of morality and, and tolerance or whatever, doing good deeds, but when you strip it all the way back and you get down to the nitty-gritty, so to speak, you will find that you remove the layers of what might be on the outside, and you get down to the cold, hard facts, which is what do you do with Jesus? There is an explosive reaction. 
Because we can be platonic, we can be okay, oh yeah, we're cool with each other, it's all right, you know, we work in the same industry or whatever it might be. But then when the gospel unadulterated, uncompromised, and not diluted is presented, it makes people uncomfortable. Because they have to make a decision. They have to choose. They become accountable. And this is the type of reaction that Paul is seeing wherever he goes. And it says in verse 3, And when the Jews plotted against him as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. In verse 4, Sopater of Berea accompanied him to Asia, also Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derbe, and Timothy, and Tychicus, and Trophimus of Asia. These men going ahead waited for us at Troas. Now, anytime I come to a bunch of names in the Bible... I have a tendency to skip over them real quick. But then I thought, well, what if that was your name? I would think, oh, I'd like to take some time in this section right here. I'd like to read this a little. Let's, let's look at these guys. Sopater, just for, you know, for your own understanding and for your own you know, knowledge database, if you want to just, okay, who are these guys? Just real quick. Uh, Sopater was from the Berean church. Remember, they were famous because they didn't just take what somebody said. They looked in the scriptures to see if it was true. Aristarchus. He was a Thessalonian Christian. He was one of the guys dragged into the theater during the uproar. And actually in Colossians, Paul refers to Aristarchus as his fellow prisoner. Secundus, he was also a Thessalonian Christian, but this is the only time he's mentioned in the Bible. Gaius, he was also with Aristarchus in the theater, as you remember from Acts chapter 19. Timothy was the Timothy. Uh, the one who played a huge role in the life of Paul and was, uh, as is recorded, of in the New Testament. Tychicus, he was with, uh, with Paul in Rome and was the messenger that carried Paul's letters to the Ephesians, the Colossians, and Philemon. So he was one of the trusted servants, companions, workers, co-laborers who delivered the messages of Paul to at least three uh, different churches. And he was also called a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord from Ephesians chapter 6. That's a great, great bio to have. Somebody that's a beloved brother and faithful minister. And Trophimus, he was actually from Ephesus. He was a Greek from Ephesus. So, verse 6, as we continue on, But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days joined them at Troas. So, who's writing the book of Acts? Do you guys remember? His name's Acts, right? No, it's not. It's actually Luke, remember? And so Luke is jotting these things down, and that's why he's referring in the plural to Paul having joined. We joined them. So the, the guys' names that I just listed off, they went ahead, and then Paul and Luke traveled uh, sometime after. It says, now on the first day of the week, verse 7, it says actually at the end of verse 6, five days we joined them at Troas where we stayed seven days. Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Wow. Now, it's, it's been, you know, kind of understood that this was probably an evening meal, say 6 p.m. And he went on for at least, obviously, six hours if he was preaching. I just thought to myself, my, how things have changed. Uh, I don't know if you know this as well, but uh, in, in the, back in the day, I guess you could say, when there was a rabbi or a teacher, the, the rabbi actually sat and the whole audience stood. So we're going to be implementing that this morning. No, I'm just kidding. Don't worry. Some like, I'm not coming back to church here. Uh, so what happened here is I find this fascinating. These guys getting together, more than likely 6 p.m., Paul preaches until midnight. 
Now, some of us here this morning would never make it through that. And the best case scenario wouldn't be back next week for Bible study. That's way too long. I mean, what a change in our, in our attention spans <laughs> this day and age. You know, you remember the old saying, the mind can't comprehend what the seat can't endure? Remember? You know, I just don't get it. If I'm sitting here too long, I just, it goes from, man, that's a great sermon to a so-so sermon to it goes too long. That is the worst message I've heard in my life because I've sat there so long. I mean, attention spans are, are crazy now. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm having to watch this with my own son with the iPhone and tablet generation. You know, it's like if I'm not doing something right away, but then, you know, forget children. How about us? How many times do we check our Instagram news feeds? Like, what are the second intervals? Oh, man, it's been three seconds. Quick, I got to see if somebody liked my post yet. Refresh, refresh. You know, like whatever it may be. I mean, God forbid Instagram goes down and we'll actually have to call our friends and be like, Instagram's down. Just describe what your food looks like to me. You know, tell me about it. You know, because, you know, people take it, oh, this is what I'm having for lunch, and this is my snack here, and, 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 and we, we wouldn't know what to do with ourselves. But now back on topic, okay, I'm not advocating, you know, six-hour-long church services. I'm just wondering how we fall asleep during the 45-minute ones. Remember from our study, Why Church, and we talked about the have-tos and the need-tos and the want-tos of church? Like the people that are there because I just have to be there. It's like doing time. The best thing I could ever hear the pastor say is end in closing and so on and so forth. And then there's the, the need tos that have had some kind of experience in their life that shook them up, got their attention spiritually. Maybe there's more to life. And so they, they go to church like, man, I need to go to church, man. I don't think God's trying to tell me something. And then there are the want tos that, that you know what? I, I decided that I, I desire to be in church. I want to be amongst God's people. I anticipate to hear from the Lord. I want to worship the Lord. I want to be involved with this. I want to be involved with this. See, we have people in church that are dead in their sins coming looking for answers. And then we have people dead asleep in their Christian walk. Hence the title of this morning's message, part one of four, Dead Asleep. In verse 8, it says, There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together, and in a window sat a certain young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep, and as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. And as Sugar Ray used to sing, Gone out the window, gone out. What's going on with this? Well, point number one, we have two points this morning. Point number one is this. Falling asleep in church can be fatal. And in more ways than one. I mean, take this guy right here. He's completely asleep in church, and uh, he doesn't even know that I'm talking about him right now. Isn't that ironic? No, I'm just kidding. He's not really asleep. Sorry. (laughs) So we're like, no way. Oh, Lord Jesus, please let him wake up. I know some of your hearts started beating, you know, like that. Uh, Falling asleep in church can be fatal. Now, see, there are people that come to church week in and week out. They come every week, but then they get there and they tune out. They tune out. And they usually have kind of like like a quiver 
of these phrases, if you will, that kind of help facilitate this tuning out process. Tell me something I don't already know. I've heard that a million times, not even interested in that. Oh, I already know that. Or, this guy's like a broken record. You know, what in the world? See, there are Christians in the church today that are absolutely lethargic. Lethargic. They come to church, and it's not this thing that it's supposed to be. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 6, Paul writes to the church and he says, Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. In the Greek, that word sleep is kathudo, which means to be lethargic and even indifferent to one's salvation. So Paul would say, therefore, let us not be lethargic. Let us not be numb. Let us not be checked out as some people are. But let us watch and let us be sober. Now, I think this begs the question, how does a Christian get to the point of being numb to the things of God? How do you get there? How do you get to that point? Because I think we've all been at that point at one time or another. Maybe you're here this morning and you're at that point. See, there's something that happens intellectually, intellectually to us that should be a red flag spiritually. Let me say that again. There is something that will happen in church when we're hearing a message intellectually that should be a red flag for us spiritually. See, when we hear a particular point from a message, we can grab onto that intellectually. But if it remains in the realm of the intellect only and never travels to the realm of the heart and the spirit, that's a problem. I got it here, but it never traveled here. And intellectual understanding only. See, there's a mechanism that gets tripped when the same topic comes up again that blocks us from receiving more on that particular topic. It actually hinders us from receiving from the Lord because we think that we've heard everything that has to be said about that. And unfortunately, we are even audacious enough to assume that God can't speak to us in a new way because we've already heard it. We already know about that. I've heard that before since I was a kid. And we have this mechanism that trips. It, there it is. Uh, I've already heard that. We immediately tune out, disinterested. I, I don't know why I'm here. Okay, great. Better just make it through the service. Okay, I start counting down the time. And I look at my watch every single second. Oh, man, I can't believe this. See, being at that place is ungodly and is unbiblical. It's a place of pride and spiritual lethargy. Be numb to the things of God. In Romans 11.33, listen to this on the subject of, hey, I've already heard this, and I don't think God has anything else to say about this. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways are past finding out. Ephesians 3.8 Paul says, to me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Psalm 145, verse 3, the psalmist says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. Isaiah 40, verse 28, reading from the Revised Standard Version, it says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? 
The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. So I'd have to say right now, do not fall asleep in your Christianity. Do not fall asleep. As you've heard me quote before, C.H. Spurgeon said, the devil is never too busy to rock the cradle of a sleeping Christian. I've heard it before. I've already been there. You know, tell me something I don't know. I've heard it a million times. Whatever it might be, whatever that is that clicks intellectually, that actually is that mechanical movement of blocking out what the Lord would like to further tell us on a particular subject. You might think, well, man, I don't even know why I'm here this morning. I mean, I know why you're here. It's because God brought you here. And then you, you rebuttal that. No, no way, man. That was my wife that brought me here. Whatever it might be. My friend guilt-tripped you know, me to be here. Well, listen, who's the one that protected you as you drove here this morning? In the inclement weather conditions outside? We've had at least a half of inch of rain outside. But you got here safely. You know, Californians, we don't know how to drive, you know, Southern Californians in, in rain. Oh my, there's stuff falling from the sky here. You know, what is it? I remember I, I went into a restaurant a couple days ago and, and she's like, hey, how are you doing? And I'm like, oh, I'm doing pretty good, but there's like this stuff falling from the sky. And she's like, what? Like dead serious behind the cash register. I was like, no, it's just rain. I was just kidding, you know? But who's the one that protected you as you got here this morning? It was the Lord. Who's the one that saved the seat that you're sitting in? It was the Lord. The Lord brought you here not to waste your time. He brought you here to speak to you, to reveal himself to you, and to show you more of who he is. Why would we as Christians want to live life dead asleep? Numb to the things of the Lord. Lethargic in our actions, diluted in our minds, and hibernating in our spirits. Now, I love Apple products, MacBook Pros. You know, I love the sleep feature. But the sleep feature may be fine for Macs, but it is awful for Christians. I'm not off, but I'm not on. I'm asleep. You know, I haven't powered down completely, but I'm not expending any energy. Some of us in church today are just like the energy saver tab under system preferences. You know, click it. Turn display off after 15 minutes. There you are. Put hard disk to sleep when possible. And I hope that some of this has struck a nerve with the exact people that it's supposed to strike and that the conviction of the Holy Spirit sets in and wakes us up out of sleep. This isn't the time to be sleeping. You see, the things that are happening in the world today, people getting their heads chopped off. You know, the, 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 the evil that's in this world. And then we wonder, why isn't God pouring out His Spirit? Why isn't He doing something? But the Lord desires to use people. You're His conduit. You're His vessel. But if we're asleep in church, if we're dead asleep in our relationship with God because we've tuned out, because we've heard it a million times before, we are calloused, we are numb, and we are not going to be used the way that God would have us to be used in these last days. We need to wake up. We need to do what God's called us to do. So Eutychus, he falls out the window. He's listening to this message. Oh my goodness. He goes right out the window. And it says in verse 10, But Paul went down, fell on him, embracing him, and said, Do not trouble yourselves, for his life is in him. I feel that it's interesting that Paul went down and embraced him. Not, that's what you get for falling asleep in my services. He went down and he embraced him. 
And the key thing that he said, he says, for his life is in him. Do you remember I said I had two points this morning? Point number one is falling asleep in church can be fatal. But it leads us to our second and final point, which is falling asleep in church can be fixed. It can be fixed. Now, I'm not talking about taking pre-service espresso shots, drinking Red Bull, or monster drinks. Man. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 6, it says, Therefore, let us not sleep. Remember, let us not become lethargic. Let us not become tuned out. Let us not become numb to the things of God. But let us watch and be sober. In the Greek, that word for watch is gragoreo. And it's actually a really, really powerful word that means this. Be attentive, be cautious, and be active. Be attentive, be cautious, and be active. So letter A, let's look at be attentive. When you come into a place where the Word of God is being open, whether it is a church setting like this or a home Bible study or you're meeting up to do a devotional with friends, know that God wants to speak to you. And you need to listen because you can still learn something. Anytime the Bible is open, you should have an expectancy. We should have an expectancy that the Lord is going to reveal himself to us in a new way. He's either going to show us something new or he's going to reinforce something that he's already shown us. And you know what? I should probably pay attention because I can still learn something. If we get to the point where we're like, hey man, I pretty much know cover to cover everything that the Bible has to say. And you know what? I've read that verse 15 times, man. 15, 1, 5. And we're going to read it again. Jeremiah 33, verse 3. And I periodically will quote from different translations of the Bible. This one again from the Revised Standard Version says, call to me, the Lord speaking. He says, call to me and I will answer you. And I will tell you great and hidden things which you have not known. So when we have this expectancy of, you know, be attentive to the word of God, be attentive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, the Lord says, call unto me, ask me, I'll show you things that you don't know. I'll show you things that are hidden that I can reveal to you. And that's why, the, as we read, that the wisdom of God is unsearchable. His waves are unsearchable. His, his, his deeds are beyond finding out. Because you can read a verse 515 times and the Lord can speak to you in 515 different ways because you have a heart that's open to hear from him. So he says, be attentive, be cautious, be active. Letter A was be attentive. B, letter B, be cautious. Be cautious of what? Don't let your heart get hardened to the things of God by familiarity. If you really know anything, you will know that you don't know anything. Let me say it again. And for the one person that got that in the back, thank you. If you really know anything, you will know that you really don't know anything. It's the person that thinks that I already know all of these things. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2 says, And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing, yet as he ought to know. And Galatians 6, 3 says, For if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So, Be attentive and be cautious of getting to the point where you step into church not expecting God to speak to you, but rather, I have to be here. 
because I'll feel guilty if I don't. Or, you know what, I better go to church, you know, and just endure, you know, the service. This is an area of our hearts getting hardened. So be attentive. Lord, speak to me. Open, as I open your word, Lord, Lord, help me. Be attentive. Be cautious. Do you find yourself slipping into the place that you don't want to be? Letter C, be active. Don't think that someone else will take care of something that you have been shown as a need. A lot of times in church, what will happen is somebody will come up and they'll say, hey, you know what, how come you guys don't do this? Or how come, you know, you guys really should try this type of thing. And, you know, they're usually like great suggestions and they're really, really good. And there's some things that, yeah, okay, only a pastor can do. That's probably, you know, that, that will work for that. But then the majority of the time, the, what ends up happening is that someone will be like, hey, I see a need, and the Lord will actually show them, hey, this is a need. Wouldn't it be really great at Vision City Church if this was happening or, or these people's needs could get met or we could serve the body better? And they'll say, hey, have somebody else do it when the Lord's showing them the need. Don't ignore that. Be active. Don't think that someone else will take care of something that you have been shown as a need by the Lord. Hudson Taylor, the famous missionary to China, said, and I quote, I know of no greater motivation to preach the gospel than knowing that the Lord is coming back soon. End of quote. I know of no greater motivation to be active than knowing that God is coming back soon. This is not the time to be dead asleep in church. Sleep mode. I'm not powered down, but I'm not expending any energy. Be active. Matthew 24, verse 46. Jesus said, Blessed is the servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. So that when Jesus comes, blessed is the servant when he sees, blessed is the servant, blessed are you and me when Jesus comes back and he sees us, he finds us doing his work. So be attentive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Be cautious of how the Satan would like to move in our hearts to get us to become callous to the things of God. Thirdly, be active. Don't sit on the sidelines any longer. Letter D, be awake. Be awake. In Romans 13, 11, it says, And do this knowing the time, that now it is high time to wake out of sleep, for our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Know the time. Wars and rumors of war. Jesus is coming back soon. Our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. When you got saved five months ago, you're nearer to Jesus coming back. This is not the time to be asleep. When you got saved 45 years ago, this is not the time to be asleep. This is the time to even be more so active. Let us not be lethargic or numb and indifferent to our own salvation and the needs of the world's salvation. We need to get out there and do what God has called, called us to do and fight for that cause. Rather, let us be attentive, let us be cautious, let us be active, and let us be awakened spiritually. In Ephesians 5, verse 14, Paul writes and says, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. That's what we want. That's what we need. We don't want to come to church and be dead asleep. I'm living, but I'm just tuned out spiritually. You know, I, 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 I'm going through the motions. Now's not the time, nor is there ever a time. And it says in verse 11, as 
Paul, remember, he embraced him and he said, there's life in him. Everyone thought he was dead. Even so, I feel like the Holy Spirit would embrace any of you that might have been in a place this morning leading up to this message where you have found yourself in a place where your heart's getting hardened to the things of the Lord, yet the Lord would say, hey, there's still life in there. Satan might be trying to squeeze it out, but it's still alive in there. And it says, now when he had come up, Paul had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even until daybreak, so another six hours or so. Man, Paul was a machine. I've taught services, like I've done like six services in one day. That was the longest I've ever done. Five morning services and one evening service. And by the end of the night, you're like, hi, my name's Garrett. <laughs> my throat's shot. But he speaks another six hours. He come up and broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even until daybreak, he departed. In verse 12, when they brought the young man in alive and they were not a little comforted. It's the power of God who resurrects and makes us alive. And the church was very encouraged, rightfully so. There was Eutychus falling out of the third story window and they thought he was dead. Remember, falling asleep in church can be fatal. Who knows what can happen in that eight-inch drop off that chair? But we're talking more, talking about more than just a physical sleep, aren't we? We're talking about a spiritual sleep, being dead asleep in church. But the Lord can make it alive again. When you ask him, he'll reveal himself to you. He resurrects, and then you know what happens? It says the church was very comforted and encouraged. And you know what happens when somebody that's in church becomes how would you say this? Awakened, maybe? Or revived? We talk about revival. Lord, send revival to our, our land. What that's saying is take something that was once vibrantly alive, but then has diminished and make it vibrantly alive again. Revival. And then the church gets stoked. They get excited. They're, they're, they're comforted. They're strengthened. They're encouraged. Man, look at this guy. He's on fire. And then all of a sudden, it's like a wildfire in the forest. You know, it, it's just contagious. And people are just bursting into flames on fire for the Holy Spirit. And then, then we see the mighty outpouring of God in the last days because we're not compromising the message. We're not diluting it. We're not in a place where I can't learn anything and God can't show me or I've heard it a million times where I have an eager expectation now to hear and receive from the Lord. And it's exciting and then we see radical change we see the lord saving people we see the lord changing lives hopefully hopefully we all are today knowing that if god can bring to life a guy that fell asleep and woke up dead he certainly can wake us up from being dead asleep spiritually and use us to bring comfort to the church even as eutychus as we continue, verses 13 through 16 to close, it says, Then they went ahead to the ship, and they sailed to Assos, there intending to take Paul on board. For so he had given orders, intending himself to go on foot. And when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and came to Mytilene. In verse 15, We sailed from there, and the next day came opposite Chios. The following day we arrived at Samos and stayed at Trogilia. The next day we came to Miletus. In verse 16, for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. And that's where we conclude our study this morning and where we'll be picking up in verse 17 next Sunday. Would you please join with me as we pray? Father, we thank you, Lord, so much for your word, and we thank you, Lord, for your mercy and your grace.
And we thank you, Lord, that it is your word that gives us, Lord, that admonishment, gives us that warning, Lord, that we need to be awake spiritually. And Lord, that we would not have unconfessed sin, that we would not be living lifestyles of sin, Lord, that we would be pure and holy before you. And Lord, I pray, God, that you would cause, even in our own little church here, Lord, a spiritual awakening. And Lord, that we would not be in sleep mode. Father, I pray that you would ignite our hearts, Lord, and that you would empower us for your service. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to add to this church, Lord, those being saved, that you would continue to raise up leaders and volunteers and servants, Lord, that aren't looking for a position, but that are looking just to be used by you. And so, Father, we ask that we would truly, each of us, please, Lord, that each of us would know right now that you desire that we individually would be a blessing to those around us collectively. Each one on fire for you. Lord, help us, Lord, to take the initiative. Help us, Lord, to be in tune to your Holy Spirit speaking. And Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name.